Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're excited to be back with you as we officially launch season three of the podcast. In keeping along a similar path of our first two seasons, we'll be continuing our conversations about Avatar The Last Airbender, with our third season focusing on the third and final book of that series, Fire. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Lee. <laughs> There's a million Lees. <laughs> and I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We can't wait to dive back into the conversations and continue building on many of the concepts and discoveries from books one and two. Book three continues with the relentless pacing that made book two so successful and offers us one hell of a climax to close out the series. I'm excited about hearing from Max and Evan with their thoughts and what they think about this season. For our 21st episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters one and two of book three. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about book three, chapter one, The Awakening. It's the first episode of the third season and is the 41st official episode of the show. This episode was written by Aaron Ehas and was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The Awakening originally aired on September 21st, 2007. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 1. After sustaining serious injuries at the end of Season 2, Aang awakens to find himself aboard a Fire Nation ship. Meanwhile, Zuko journeys back home to the Fire Nation. Here's some more information about Book 3, Chapter 2, The Headband. It's the second episode of the third season and is the 42nd official episode of the show. This episode was written by John O'Brien and was directed by Joaquim de Santos. The headband originally aired on September 28, 2007. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 2. To better camouflage themselves as real Fire Nation citizens, the kids check out a Fire Nation school. Also, Zuko confronts Uncle Iroh. So, what were your thoughts on these two episodes? Well, I really like the costume changes that you guys have done for this, uh, this recording. Everybody else can't see it, but we're in our new uh, Season 3 costumes. Um, Evan Muse is wearing sort of a Fire Nation spiky get up. Brandon has his... <laughs> I was waiting to see how long he extended this. Yeah, I was going to keep I, going. I was like, I can't. But I think, he lost, I think he lost it a little after Evan and the spiky. Mm -hmm. I think that is one of my favorite parts of this this new season is our our costume so changes. Cool. I love it. And again, another thing that a lot of animated shows like steer away from because it's a lot of effort to plan out a whole new outfit and like have everybody learn how to draw these characters in a completely different way. Super cool. But it does make a lot of sense and is still in service of the story, right? Mm -hmm. They're not just costume changing for the fun of it. Right. They're costume changing because like they're now in the Fire Nation Nobody can really know that they're alive, especially with Aang, um, because he died at the end of season two and then was brought back. That's the whole crux of these first couple of episodes here is they need to blend in. So it, it's not it's not an unwarranted change. Like it's definitely something that they need in order to, to push the story forward. I think Mike and Brian were also excited by this because typically they're in the art of the animated series book. They're like only bad guys get cool costumes. And so we we're really excited to to change it up with our heroes. I'm really surprised when Aang first wakes up that that somebody wasn't right by him, almost kind of monitoring his progress and seeing how he was doing. You know, I'm I'm imagining that they probably did that right away, 
but Katara references that he's been out for a couple of weeks. So they probably got sick of it, you know, just like waiting yeah. for him to wake up, basically. But you'd think that, especially overnight or something like that, they would have somebody really close to his room so that when he wakes up right away on a Fire Nation ship, that he doesn't do what he did and freak out. Did any of you kind of find that a little odd or? Yeah, I don't know why they didn't like leave the guy a note like, hey, huh. it's me, Katara. Everything's OK. <laughs> or at the very least, take down the giant Fire Nation tapestry right. hanging above him. Maybe if they got like raided or something, they could conceivably say like, we captured the avatar to play it out a little longer. Imagine that happening. Like what? <laughs> do you remember watching this uh, for the first time? I do. I remember being shocked that Aang could grow hair. I right. assumed he was like permanently bald. <laughs> yes, I know. I don't know why that was. Yeah. 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 E even in flashback sequences, like we've seen... We've seen female av or female airbenders, excuse me, have their hair kind of in the whatever shape that it is. So it's weird that we all, I mean, I assumed the same thing. I just was like, oh yeah, he's bald. And we've also never seen him shave his head right. throughout the entirety of the series. I know we see it later in, in season three, but we just assumed like, oh, it's just, you know, maybe they like take out and remove all of his hair through an airbender ritual when he gets his <laughs> tattoos. Who knows? But yeah, yeah it's, it is, is it. It is a little shocking right away to see him with hair. I think that they he might shave it in bossing say when like Sokka's trimming his beard and Katara's doing her hair loopies, oh. and then he's shaving his head. Like their morning rituals and tops like sleeping. He might be. Uh. I think that's our only our only clue into it. Yeah, yeah I'd have to go back and, and look and see. Because I don't I honestly don't remember that at all. And I mean this is pretty obvious, but do you know? Like why they shave their head? Less air resistance. <laughs> Don't they talk about it in Korra? So that they can be more aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's a that's a Max, good one. Max with the Max with the dad jokes <laughs> so early. Sako, what are you doing in here? Get out of yeah. here! <laughs> exactly. But I thought you said your name was Lee in your intro. <laughs> I'll be honest, though, I don't remember watching this episode for the first time. I will say, though, watching it again now and even looking back in my notes, like it does do a ton of just setting up of things that are going to, you know, come back, at least for these first batches of episodes, right? Kind of up to the invasion, right? Every Everything is kind of now leading to the invasion on the day of Black Sun, whereas the end of season two was kind of culminating on bossing Say and then the takeover of the Earth Kingdom right here at the beginning, they're using a similar kind of storyboarding um, um, format or formula in that they've given us a fixed point in the future, the day of Black Sun, the day of the, the eclipse, and now they're just piecing together what's happening between now that Aang has woken up to that point. So, mm. um, you know, th this episode isn't my favorite. I'll just be honest about it. Uh, I, I think there's just a ton of little things that I would have liked to see them expand more on. Um, again, a little bit more of like Zuko and May and kind of maybe their backstory, like the relationship they had before Zuko was was banished. And then now picking it up kind of where they left off now that he's back home. I think about the uh, the scene with Katara and Hakoda. You know, I think they could they could have done a better job similar to what I feel about Jet's arc. They could have done a better job of kind of showing us more of, of Katara's struggle when her dad left. Cause we kind of, we see it from Sokka's point of view. We see the struggle that Sokka had with identity and being a leader and being the only person left, the only male kind of 
uh, father-esque figure for all of the young kids in in the Southern Water Tribe. But I think this this episode to me feels more like a mile long and like an inch thick rather than a foot long and maybe a foot thick. It, it, I just wish that they would have developed some of those things more. Yeah, I think if this episode had been a $5 foot long, it would have gone down a little smoother <laughs> God. yep there we go that's a, i'll i'll ding myself that was a, a poorly worded metaphor we'll all move on now it's early in season three we can redeem ourselves much like ang needs to redeem himself i think we're okay i think now anytime we talk about maybe the plot not being good enough it's we measure it in in thickness or what, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah so uh, I I mean I agree with you with some of that like it would be nice to flesh it out I think with the time that they did have it was n- I think they did it well they had a good epilogue like a good amount where Sokka got to catch us up and it didn't feel too flashbacky it's like here's what you missed because yeah you were literally in a coma so it didn't feel like he was saying it just to the audience because yeah. the audience needed to catch up too and then yep. And then we kind of fill in the blanks with a lot of the Katara stuff. I mean, we, we've we talked sure. about it in, in depth. We can only imagine what she would have gone through when she was the only one to sort of be responsible. And I loved seeing her kind of righteous anger towards her father and or originally pointed towards Aang. And then he kind of picks up, like, you're not just talking about Aang, are you? Mm. Yeah. I love... Have you guys ever, like, do you remember growing up, you'd always have that one friend who could, like, be really mean to their parents and, like, nothing would come of it? They'd be like, God, what the hell are you doing? Get out of my room. You're embarrassing me. Whoa, what's (laughs) wrong? They're like, what? Nothing. (laughs) This is just how it always is. (laughs) Yes. The answer is yes. We did all have that one friend. (laughs) And the awkwardness of the third party where Aang is like yeah, just, looking like everything okay? <laughs> should, yeah. Should I have my mom come pick me up? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And then knowing deep down that if I ever said that to my parents or treated them that way, things would not have ended well. Oh yeah. <laughs> In oh. fact, things would have just ended. <laughs> uh. But I think especially after we noticed last time that Hakoda literally doesn't even bother to, like, go rescue Katara when he finds out she's in danger. Right. It, it makes sense that she's kind of peeved. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and he even says again in this episode that Sokka and Katara are his whole world, I think, is is the phrasing he actually uses. And I'm like, I remember talking with you two about how that was definitely not the case. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, yeah, Katara can certainly be angry about it. Um, and Max, to, to piggyback to the point that you talked about, that interaction between those two is very, very, very well fleshed out. And I really like that. The one thing that I just wish they would have included more of is maybe more of uh, him, his absence from Katara's perspective and point of view. Mm-hmm. Again, very similarly to what they have already done for Sokka, but just giving Katara a similar treatment. That's the only... As far as their their interaction is concerned, that was the only thing that I wish they would have done there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There's like a there's like a gendered element to it, especially with the way the water tribe works. Like everyone assumed Sokka was missing out on so many things because they knew the traditions he would have participated in with his dad, but they kind of then ignore that Katara missed a lot too and missed her father. Yep. Yeah. 
I I really like the line. I know the world needs him, but doesn't he know how much that we need him too? How can you just leave us behind? But I think that really encapsulated what she must have gone through. Um and probably what a lot of people go through, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And again, the perfect parallel, right? She can kind of blame it on Aang a little bit because Aang left, you know, again. He left again um, when he definitely shouldn't have, you know. She also said that Aang is selfish and stupid. And I'm like, you're exactly right. Why did he leave? Why would he have left there at the end of this episode when he mm. can barely fly? And it's almost like a, it's almost like a death wish, right? And... It, again, parallels him leaving the Air Temple the first time when mm -hmm. he's scared of his own destiny and scared to be the Avatar. Yep. It's like, dude, you can't do that because the entirety of the world needs you. And the moment you finally figure that out, and he kind of does at the end of this episode when Katara talks him out of it and they you know, find him again. But yeah. up to that point, it's just all so reckless and yeah. unnecessary. Ironically, I, though, it's almost a 180 from, right? He's running away from his duties the first time and now he's so uh sure he's so scared that the world thinks he's abandoned them again that he wants mm -hmm. to do anything he's but running towards yeah, it exactly. yeah his greatest fear is coming true but both and of i them, think oh go ahead yeah exactly i think it doesn't seem like this is what he's as concerned about but it is sad to think about all of the people who have sort of like put their hope on the avatar and we're like he's back we're gonna get out of this war and then can you imagine like the news going around like he's dead like a lot of people would have been devastated yeah. and like probably given up that would have been really cool to see because they did a quick flash to bossing say and you see like Jin as the soldiers walk by and you know they're horrified but to see that news spreading and like Fire Nation propaganda being spread around, like we we mm -hmm. conquered it, we killed the Avatar. Ooh, that would have been brutal. And it would have given us another opportunity to reintroduce some of the characters that we haven't heard from in a long time, like uh, Haru, um, like the Kyoshi Warriors again, like mm -hmm. the actual Kyoshi Warriors again, um, even all the way down to the Southern uh, Water Temple or Water Tribe, right? it would have given us the opportunity to again, again, reestablish, oh yeah, there are lots of people in this universe that we know and we've interacted with that have a vested interest in the success of the Avatar for both good and bad reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking of the bad reasons, some of Azula's playing mm. with this one. I love how she sets it up, how no matter what happens, Zuko she, is screwed and she's fine. Mm -hmm. It's so good. There's no worst case scenario for her. Yeah, no, it's all win. Well, and it, she's also had that relationship with Ozai where she's like daddy's little girl and anything she does will be right. It will mm -hmm. not be it will not be bad. Zuko could tell Ozai all he wants that Azula lied to you. It was actually her who struck down the Avatar and Ozai wouldn't believe Zuko, even though it is the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's just her deception and her character and, and her mischievousness, mischievousness. Yeah. Mm. And we see Ozai's face like for the first for the time. first time. We do. We do. And I thought that I thought that that moment was a little anticlimactic just because we've kind of up to this point only seen like rage-filled and aggressive Fire Lord Ozai. You know, we've seen him attack Zuko. We've seen him, you know, explode when they're kids and they're and they're talking with uh, the previous Fire Lord and all these things. It's to then just see him say, "Welcome home," mm -hmm. it's like, "Oh, you, you're you're a person." 
Yeah, this is just up to dude. this point, we haven't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're just a normal kind of normal air quotes guy, right? Yeah. I think that lack of climax in the moment is sort of the strength of it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because it humanizes his character a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives us the, oh, this is not what I was expecting, which, shocker, that's kind of what this whole season is about. Yeah. Not what you're expecting. Right. So good. I've noticed a lot of like cartoons lately, they feel really eager to give you a lot of plot. Like I we were watching season two of Kipo and the two strings. No, that's a different book. What Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. <laughs> that was a whole mess. But we were watching Kipo on Netflix and like the very end of the first season and the beginning of the second, they're throwing so much like information at you. It reminds me like they literally waited three seasons to show you the bad guy's face. Yeah. Like this show is a slow burn mm-hmm. and I kind of miss that sometimes. I think people saw this show and they were like, people like plot in cartoons. And so they're almost giving us like too much now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they do reveal it, it, it isn't this huge, like evil looks like evil. It's, it's like, Oh, he sort of looks like a hot Zuko. Like it's like, <laughs> It's like, oh God. <laughs> a hot, scarless Zuko yeah. with a long, oh pointy God. beard. Mm. <laughs> yes, now we know what Max prefers. Mm, yes. <laughs> I mean, that finale, though. <laughs> he's he's a beefcake. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like that they, they treat him as a flesh and blood character now. He's not just an mm-hmm. idea. But even still, everything, all his lines, everything that he insinuates is just dripping with kind of I don't know. It's it's gross. It's yeah. It's superiority and still sort of condescension. Like oh, you you know you made your way past your treacherous uncle, and I see the weight of your travel has changed you. You're welcome. Like basically thanking himself for banishing him. Just because he's a human doesn't mean he's a good human. I like that. Yeah. Right. Well, and again, that's also paralleled in Azula's treatment of Zuko and Azula's interactions here too. I just find it so weird that towards the end of this episode, Azula clearly knows that the Avatar is alive, right? She knows that she didn't kill him because she knows that Zuko knows that there's something kind of back alley shady-esque that was able to bring him back, even though Zuko won't tell her. But she keeps toying with Zuko about it, right? In a very mischievous, kind of condescending, superiority complex way that Ozai also looms over, mm-hmm. over Zuko throughout the entirety of this. So it's, yeah, it's very... You know, you've kind of got these two or now three opposing forces where it's clearly a two versus one. And I think in that moment, Zuko realizes either I have to I have to figure this out and go get the avatar in some way, or this is all gonna come back and bite me in the butt. Mm-hmm. We start to see that seeded in this first episode because he knows the truth. He knows that. Katara used that water to bring Aang back. God, that is great, too. Like, if she doesn't suggest that she can heal Zuko's scar, he doesn't know that Correct. That, that Aang is still alive. Correct. God. They thought of everything, I swear. So good. We get one of my favorite quotes in this episode, which is uh, Sokka saying, The universe just loves proving me wrong. <laughs> and Toph responding, You make it too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Well, and as I was watching this too, I wrote that note in there where I'm like, oh, it's the serpent back. Where's Zuko to cut off his head so that our friends (laughs) can escape? And then the serpent remembers 
our friends and is like, I need to take this other ship away from them. And I had a moment too where I'm like, oh, this kind of sucks. But then it works out where, oh yeah, of course, that line, you know, is, is applicable to how I'm digesting this episode too. <laughs> so speaking of the pilot, I had a similar thought where we just discussed how tedious it would be if the whole show centered around trying to uh, trick people to think the Avatar was dead or that he hadn't returned. And then... <laughs> And it hit me in the face like Sokka's like, we have a secret. The world thinks you're dead. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. They do this whole pilot. They just wait until this moment. To kind of reuse parts of it, too, mm -hmm. which is it's brilliant. And mm -hmm. I, I agree with you that I, I thought to myself, man, this is a lot like the pilot. There are a lot of elements in this third season, the final one. A lot of elements. Where they're like, yeah, let's just bring, oh, <laughs> nice dad jokes. We got them. Where it's like. They're bringing back all these things, and and yeah, it was cool. It was a cool parallel, too. I'm particularly fond of the line where um, Aang looks at Katara and goes, You saved me. Mm-hmm. Do you see my notes? Do you see? <laughs> I did. I saw your little emoji next to it. You're like, side-eye, half-smile. Oh, you dog, Max. You dog. Yeah, I'm glad Olivia wasn't watching that one. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, gross. <laughs> How do we feel about the uh, old lady twins who introduce our, our anti-heroes at the beginning? Do you like those old lady people or do you not like them? I think if anyone was going to deliver like a lot of pretty straightforward exposition, I'm glad it's them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it makes it like creepy and weird enough that yeah. two people essentially explaining what happened feels a little more interesting at least. Sure. I, I like how they flesh those characters out a little bit more, especially mm -hmm. on I think the beach episode. Um, which comes up later because they accompany Ozai's Angels and Zuko to the beach. Yeah. And they're kind of talking about, you know, their experience growing up and all this stuff too. And I I also like how they kind of become like Azula's version of Uncle Iroh a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if or how they're related to the royal family. I don't remember if it gets said to us or, or spoken to us or not how they are. But it is kind of funny how like throughout the season they're kind of that elder Mm -hmm. Um, wise sage esque persons for Azula a little bit. So I was reading the the book, the animated book, and it talked about how all of the like the Fire Nation army soldiers were typically men, but the domestic soldiers were primarily women. So the Fire Lords entourage, like all the all the domestic police, were typically majority women so it'd usually be the women that are teaching firebending and so it kind of makes sense that Lo and Lee are women and in their heyday like in their prime they would have been these incredible competent benders um because that's that's of course that's who would be teaching you know the fire lord's kids right I thought that was really neat that's awesome I also liked how this this episode kind of has a lot of moments that remind us of other moments, right? There are moments that remind us of the pilot, which we just talked about for the season two bonus episode. But when we first see Zuko kind of giving bread to the ducks in the pond, mm. it reminded me of the flashback episode where it shows us um, May, Ty Lee, Azula, Zuko, and Ursa all mm -hmm. when they were little kids. And I don't know if you noticed this either, but right when Azula came up and her shadow came over the ducks... The ducks freaked out and, and ran away and swam away. It's because they remember that Azula is the person who throws the bread at them yep. and like tries to hurt them rather than Zuko or Ursa who just throw it in there to feed them. I thought that was a cool thing that's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. We know about that. 
such a cool detail. Generations of turtle ducks scorned by Zula. Right, right. <laughs> they just know to be wary. Like those turtle ducks had probably never met Azula. <laughs> She's been gone <laughs> yeah. for like a season. <laughs> the one from the prophecies is returned. <laughs> the bread monster. Just evolutionarily, it's better to stay yeah. away from Azula. <laughs> <laughs> That goes for pretty much everybody. Yeah, actually, if you expand that metaphor, it works pretty well. <laughs> oh, man. How did you feel about the return of Yue? I, I really liked the ending where the, where Aang gets this like spirit pep talk thing. Mm -hmm. I also like how it starts with Roku. Mm -hmm. And it starts with Roku admitting to Aang that he could have and should have done more to stop this. Because we also learn about all that later mm -hmm. in the Fire Lord and and or the Avatar and the Fire Lord episode. Yeah. But then when Yue uh, manifests herself and says, "You've already saved the world once before. We just need you to do it again." It's like, of course, that. How affirming is mm -hmm. that for Ang, who is down in the dumps? He's, you know, kind of lost his glider. He's like stranded in the in the middle of the ocean now, and he's like, "I, I don't know if I can do this." You can because you've already done it. I really liked that spirit pep talk at the end. Mm -hmm. I will be honest. I think she looks a little silly when she kind of comes down through the clouds. <laughs> I love what she says, but for some reason, every time she appears, it's just so extravagant that it feels like a bit much to me. <laughs> you like think there's going to be a rope that she's being lowered down on. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Swinging around. Just, just like the play. Just like the play. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh, my God. And then we get to return to the Crescent Island, too, which we see it's still there's still lava coming out of it from when Roku sunk it. Um, yeah. Wasn't that season one? That was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. I did not realize that that's where they ended up. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. Yeah, still fresh. I was a little confused how he was just standing straight on top of lava. Without, yep. <laughs> I kind of had a hot cinders moment where I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was cool imagery very much and it gives us like a pretty good metaphor into ang's acceptance right he's burning sort of his last connection other than appa <laughs> right Not okay buddy appa. get in the volcano <laughs> 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 it's okay they basically put appa under moss for the next four episodes right, so, right. seriously you know, it's, it's oh okay my god D. Bradley Baker's schedule was pretty booked up, so <laughs> yeah. they just had to write Appa out of the, the next few episodes. I think that you you said this at the very beginning, Brandon, where maybe this episode didn't have everything, right? It could it was throwing a lot at us and catching us up and sort of setting the stage. But I think it does just that, right? It sets up the stage for one of the best seasons of television, in my opinion, that there is. Absolutely. Whoa, hot takes. Mm. <laughs> Hot just kidding. That was hot fiery take. A, hot, no, not not a hot fiery take. I agree with you. <laughs> do we want to jump into the next one, or do you want to do a speed round of episode one? There's only one thing that I I think <clears throat> is just a good thing to point out, but that was basically it for me. Was in the very beginning when Aang is talking with Katara about wanting to gain his honor back, and they do that slow crossfade. Yeah. To Zuko as he's approaching his dad the first time, mm -hmm. just what a really cool parallel. And it, it sets up these like uh, a parallel story arcs and character arcs between Aang and Zuko who are now really fighting for the same thing. Or you get to the point where Zuko believes he's achieved his honor or gotten his honor back like the end of season two to now leapfrogging 
to Aang, who has lost his honor a little bit. So it's it's a cool kind of parallel moment there. Absolutely. And they keep that. I mean, that's a thread that's been there the entire time. They just, it, they I don't know how they do it with two seemingly opposite characters, but they keep mm-hmm. that parallel going. Yep. Before we jump into the next one, I'm having a brain fart. Why do they leave the rest of the group and go to the Fire Nation? Do we know? Did they explain that? I don't think they did explain it, unless I totally missed it. Evan, did you catch anything? Like, the reason they're there is that's where they're going to invade, right? Like, they're moving towards the palace, essentially, right? But but why why leave the rest of the group? Isn't everybody going there, eventually? Maybe they need to pick up everyone else first. Okay. And that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I no, guess it doesn't me, make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. And I think that's a little bit of a hole, probably. But I think what Evan just said, you know, maybe they, maybe Sokka, Katara, Toph, and Aang, you know, wanted to try to get more information from inside the Fire Nation to then give to everybody else who is going to assemble the masses, right? I don't, I don't really know. I can't think of anything else that would even be like remotely an option yeah they're doing like reconnaissance essentially Mm -hmm. yeah but like Sokka made it sound like they're okay so we're going kind of into the headband Sokka made it sound like their plan was going to just be living in caves until the invasion so why why leave the rest of the group well they got to work on their dance moves in the caves that's why they're in the caves yeah I see I see I see I see no, well, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they parted so that we could have the best episode. Best episode. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be the last time Max says the best episode so it's far. All huh? downhill from here. <laughs> I might duck out of the rest of this season. Your turtle duck out? <laughs> <laughs> What's a duck? You better not. I'll throw bread at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think kind of like how um, um, the first episode had a lot of kind of that drama that we've come to expect and love from the series. I think episode two, the headband is, is this perfect opposite, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're viewing these episodes back to back, there's a lot of drama, a lot of seriousness in that first episode, right? A lot of things that they tackle or reintroduce. Whereas this one is just kind of like a feel good episode mm-hmm. where the stakes are pretty low. Our gang is just, you know, uh, establishing themselves as undercover Fire Nation citizens now. And it's just a really, really fun, fun time. Like the, a lot of the comedy comes back. A lot of the quips come back. A lot of the physical humor and stuff comes back. And it's just it's fun to, to see kind of the Fire Nation from the eyes of a normal citizen, again, air quotes, normal citizen for like the first time, aside from the fire festival that they go to that one time, but mm-hmm. this in the deserter episode, this is a little bit more true to what uh fire nation life and fire nation living is. Mm-hmm. I just can't help but smile throughout this entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is the most quotable episode for me. I mean, Flamio. Flamio Hotman, that I I still say that uh, like a lot, and um, and the Wang Fire bit, Wang Fire, Wang Fire. This is my wife, Sapphire, Sapphire Fire. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, I enrolled in the Fire Nation school. Enrolled in what? <laughs> I'm going back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. 
look, I made a I made a, a portrait of the fire of the fire lord no, out of noodles. Yeah. That's a really funny thing. I admit. <laughs> yeah. That's a very funny moment because first he's like, and I got this picture of the fire lord. And it's like an actual drawing, like the whatever the propaganda drawing. And he goes, and here it is made out of noodles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course they have noodle arts and crafts at Fire Nation Elementary School or grade school. I think what I love is this is like technically a filler episode, but you get so much like important plot stuff out of it. And like for me, this is where the real battle is, right? Like understanding this idea that they are saving the people of the Fire Nation as much as anyone else, mm -hmm. I think is huge. Like having empathy for these kids growing up in this indoctrinating society, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you just hit the the nail on the head is that it's about these kids being indoctrinated to believe a certain set of ideals and a certain version of history that isn't true. Um, and to have that be challenged is a scary thing, especially when that's all you've ever been told. And even at the end, like when they're in the cave getting ready to do the dance party, right? These kids are so hesitant to just break loose and have a little fun. And I think one kid even says it, our parents wouldn't want us doing this. And it's mm -hmm. like, it doesn't, none of that matters right now. It's, you're just dancing. You're not, you know, committing, you know, genocide against a group of people. You're just freaking dancing in a cave. I, I think to speak on that, when Aang starts dancing in the band practice, the band teacher's first instinct is to ask, is that a nervous disorder? Which, <laughs> yeah. which I think sums up probably like a lot of these kids probably have nervous disorders, right? Like sure. mm -hmm. you have this sort of buttoned up society, no way to let loose or anything. You are going to have a lot of anxiety. You're going to have oh, a yeah. lot of repressed feelings. I also think that that music teacher's head was larger it's... proportionally than anybody <laughs> yes. else that we've seen in the entirety of the show. And I was concerned. Like, I understand that musicians have larger brains than normal people, okay? Uh -huh. But but that guy's brain, that was like big, big, big brain energy. And I'm like, I'm concerned about you. You should probably go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. He is the true melon lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, good one. Love it. See, we're seeding jokes that aren't going to come up again right. until the series finale, <laughs> baby. But you're right. They do have some kind of goofy characters throughout the, the show, but it's never so disproportionate that when th that guy gets on the screen, it's it's like, oh, my gosh, what the what is this? What is <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What is that hullaloo think, with your feet? I think, yeah, I think my wife even said something. We were watching these this morning, and she's like, why is that guy's head so big? <laughs> I can't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> Here, let me ask the animator. What What were you thinking? Do you have something against musicians? Because how rude. How rude. <laughs> I, know, I know that sometimes we are so moved by our love of our nation <laughs> that it urges us to, to act out. If you must, you can march in place. <laughs> it's like, yep. Yep. Did you notice in the music at the end after he says that the song they're playing, it mirrors the the sound whenever we cut to the Fire Nation in the show. It goes the ba 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 yes. ba. That's like what they're playing in <laughs> band class. Yes. <laughs> so funny. Can we talk about how stupid the headmaster is that he looks at two clearly children? One in a beard and another with a pillow in their shirt. 
and believes that they are adult parents. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about that because he thinks these are people from the colonies and they clearly have a lot of disdain and prejudice mm. for the colonies. So mm-hmm. he could be looking mm-hmm. at them like, okay, these are like teenage parents. Right. right. Or or young. Sure. Like a sort of like Southern Hick stereotype right. or something. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like these two could be siblings and they have <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but but honestly, he's funny he's, that you mentioned that because yeah. they are siblings. <laughs> yes, like very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Or that the the blue eyes doesn't throw him off or anything. Right. And I love how he responds so positively when Sokka just rips into Aang a little bit. And he's oh, like, when we get line. home, you're going to get it, young man. Something yeah, fierce. Punishment of a lifetime. And he's like, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, oh let's, abu- let's abuse our, our, our insubordinates. Yes. That doesn't sound like my Kuzan. <laughs> that's what any mother would say, man. <laughs> I love this episode. You Every line. So we, good. I can tell. <laughs> I think we're skirting around my favorite part, which is Aang in school. And just his his energy matched with the energy of the the Fire Nation kids. Him being like, is that a trick question? Because the Air Nation didn't have a military. And the kids horrified looks at him like, <laughs> yep. what did you just do? <laughs> so good. And I think, I don't know, as a younger kid watching this, the interactions between him and the bully are just wonderful. They're just, they just... Fill my heart so much when he's just kind of like, oh, you must be one of those popular kids I've heard about. It's just like, who says it like that? Uh, I'm going to show her some some moves. You're going to show her what? <laughs> Nobody's showing her just anything. Some, just some dance movements. <laughs> it's like he's so innocent. He's so naive, right? That's the whole bit is that he doesn't understand, yeah. you know? Because he's only twelve, he shouldn't have to understand, right? And then he's inv- he's invited to go play hiding explode, which I want to know the rules of that. And <laughs> it's just so wholesome. It's like you get to just be a kid. You go from this really traumatic event of finding out the the world thinks you're dead and your whole destiny is crumbling, and you have to uphold you know the world on your shoulders, to this episode where it's just like, can I just pretend to be a kid? Yeah. And that was so much the beginning of his whole conflict too, right? Like once he was the Avatar, the Airbending kids didn't want to play with him anymore. Yeah. He, it was unfair to play with Aang because he was the Avatar. So of course that's why he was winning. Mm. Right. After all these years, he finally gets that back. Yeah. How do you think Hide and Explode is played? Probably like Hide and Seek, but you like fire blast them and then they explode. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Aang literally comes back with like scorch marks. Yeah, he's like charred, <laughs> slightly charred. Yeah. For I think that really makes sense for these kids that that is their go-to game. They're so mm-hmm. repressed <laughs> that they just their leisure activity is like <laughs> exploding each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's always weird to me when Aang returns from the first day of school and to find the the gang, the rest of the gang just hanging out and they're like, "Where were you?" It's like you're traveling with the Avatar in the Fire Nation and you lose him and your instinct is just to be like, okay, like we'll go back to the, the cave, I guess. Yeah. Not freak out, try to search for him. I don't know. Okay. Um, man, I have a lot of thoughts about this one. This one is a, is a personal opinion. If we're going to talk about ships in this, 
uh, in this podcast, Ooh. which Brandon mm. started the ship war, so I might as well keep it going. I think the An- An- Anji Ang boat, I like that one. Oh, yeah. I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> see, I'm welcoming of all kinds of ships, Max. <laughs> I'm, not mut- I'm not exclusive about the shipping. Mm. I have no prejudice of the shipping. <laughs> I think Anji Ang would be lovely. Mm-hmm. I think they're very cute together when they dance. They look pretty good together, if that's what you like. <laughs> <laughs> I think instead of this D&D uh, scenario, which we, I know we should still do, we should have two bonus episodes for season three. One should be that, which you can uh, embed, hide, and explode in, sure. probably. <laughs> but the second one should honestly be, um, Evan, you and I just sitting here reacting to Max, <laughs> reading the, the script verbatim. <laughs> all parts. Of this episode, all parts. I think we should. I, I think oh, that I should that. be, that should be, like you and I can read the stage directions and uh, <laughs> yeah, Max should go. read. I, 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 would I, I think that. we'd be doing a, a disservice to our audience if, if we didn't do this. I mean, you just you can edit together this episode to basically be that. Because <laughs> I've yeah, done every line. Every so single line, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Okay, a couple of, a couple of things that I want to point out that uh, just like a quick fire reaction. Okay? Actually, I had another thought that I wanted to talk about for this uh, episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> um, okay, so the very beginning, a the little cave driving theme at the beginning is so mm-hmm. tasty, yeah. so tasty. So good. Exactly, and then all of a sudden. Here's this cloud flying very low, not <laughs> suspicious at all. Terrible cover. That's terrible cover. If you're going to be a cloud, be up by the other clouds. <laughs> Don't yeah. be so low. And this, and Sokka, next time let's be a cloud that knows how to shut its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was reading, um, so they when these re-aired, they did uh, like fun fact block, like bloops that would come up during the episode just like little um typed out things on it and so i was reading some of those for this one and the the blurb that pops up for that is fact clouds do not have mouths (laughs) oh my god (laughs) thank you nickelodeon (laughs) some poor intern was like forced to come up with something interesting to overlay over every single program like I don't know. <laughs> and it was it was that intern's last day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Jeremy next in my office. <laughs> yeah. Next thing. So they're going to get their new clothes, mm-hmm. okay? One, it's so funny how Toph has to take off the soles of her shoes. Mm-hmm. I think that's so funny, but also so again true to her character and just perfect. Katara, right before they go and they get the clothes, she's like, "I call the silk robe." She's not wearing a silk robe at the end. I need these things, these continuity things need to be fixed in Avatar Studios. If they have these types of screw-ups again, I'm not watching. (laughs) Unforgivable. (laughs) Last thing, and then we'll move on, because I know Max is just chomping at the bit to to gush more about this episode. I I think one of us had brought up that there was a Reddit post that talks about um, Hotman as actually being like a cuss word. Am I making that up, or did somebody oh, did somebody bring God. that up? Because I th- I thought the joke was that Kuzan taught Ang the word Hotman because oh it's, like a, it's like that a cuss amazing. word. It's like a cuss word. So then when Ang you know is out and about, and that's why he kind of gets the adverse reactions <laughs> from people because he's Hotman, 
Hopman. swearing he's basically, at him as they yeah, go by. Like, What's up, Mother Momo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's just oh swearing at him. I, if I can find it, I'll maybe send it out to you guys. But I like to think that that's possibly what it is. That's very good. You know, and, and watching the episode, then the guards catch Aang, who's clearly in a school uniform, and then they take him to school, right? So mm-hmm. it could be either thing. They could be reacting to this, oh, why is this kid out of school? Or they could be reacting to, why is, just... kid, why is this kid swearing at me? Yeah. I did nothing to this kid. I always <laughs> I thought that. of it like um, when I taught middle schoolers, every time I said cool beans... They would just lose it. They <laughs> thought I was a million years old. I'd be, they'd be like, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. And I'd be like, okay, cool beans. And they would just, they would mock me for like 10 minutes straight. <laughs> it reminds me of, so when we were in in Switzerland traveling, we there was this commercial or something. Somehow we got this phrase called super guile, which we thought was like super cool, but... And so we'd say that we'd be like on a hike and be like, oh, this view is super guile. This is super guile. And like just putting it into everyday conversation. And my mom, who worked over there, went into work and during a meeting or something was like, oh, super guile. And <laughs> afterwards, one of the Swiss uh, co-workers took her aside and was like, you know, that that can mean like super horny. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm just picturing Renee in like a work meeting, <laughs> like a business meeting. Yeah. Oh, I'm super horny oh, for that wow. idea. Play <laughs> <laughs> me, oh, Hotman. Oh, my God. What on earth was that advertising? Oh, I'll send it to you. It is disturbing. Oh, my God. Now with that I'm context. <laughs> Actually, speaking of horny, okay, when Zuko and May are on the hillside. Oh, boy. And Azula comes up and goes, blah, 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 whatever. Zuko, can't you see we're busy? Immediately starts making out with May again. Right in front of <laughs> so her. So funny. Oh, can't you my see God. Can't you see we're busy? <laughs> <laughs> That's the most, like, just angsty teenager scene. <laughs> yes, That's the is. maddest we've seen May, too. Like, after yeah. Azula's like, oh, you go untangle her braid. Mm-hmm. And she gets up and does a side <laughs> eye as she's leaving. You don't interrupt her makeout sesh. That's the line. <laughs> I think we're finally at the, the point of the episode where we're in the cave getting ready to dance. How did you feel, <sighs> Maxwell, about the dance scene? I love it. What do you mean? How do I feel <laughs> I, about it? I, I just want to know. I want to know more of, about I, what you feel. I just, I think the... The footloosey nature of watching a bunch of kids open up and enjoy themselves is just so soul feeding. Mm-hmm. The the ones that sort of were in their shell and they're breaking out. I think we all can sort of relate to that. You know, just kind of that one kid even says, "Like all my inhibitions are disappearing." Shortly yeah, followed by, "So cute, they're back." <laughs> so funny. <laughs> That's such gone. a funny turn of events. Mm-hmm. I love that kid. Or it's the guy who's like really nervous at first when yep. he starts like dancing and going wild. The guitar yep. goes like crazy with them. It's like <laughs> that is freeing. Yeah. I also enjoyed that they they didn't just you know 
gloss over and make up some dancing, but Aang introduced them to actual dance forms from a hundred years ago. Yeah. That was really cool. I love that. Yeah. They learn how to dance. Mm -hmm. The Phoenix flight, the kimono strut (laughs) or the, I think it was the camelephant, which would be a super cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah animal that'd be awesome that'd be what a chame- a chameleon and an elephant so it'd be like an elephant that Ooh. blends in <laughs> sweet wow <laughs> why are we not talking about the elephant in the room oh my god i didn't even see it <laughs> okay That's seriously good. the, the dad good. jokes this episode are very good very good dad jokes and then i really liked that i, I assume it must be explicitly stated somewhere but that when Aang whispers in Katara's ears, like when he's when he's like, "Come on, just dance with me." She's like, "Well, these shoes, mm-hmm. I don't know." Um, <laughs> and then he whispers something, and then they get into what I believe is their sparring, water bending. Yeah, yeah, so Absolutely. cool, so yeah. cool, great. Yeah, yeah. And also in that moment, it would be totally unlike anything those kids have ever seen. Mm-hmm. So not only you know maybe some of the kids could have theoretically known the dances if their parents you know weren't evil right like all fire nation parents seem to be but then when they start doing this yeah the sparring routine where they're practicing their water bending it's like whoa what is this new thing that they're doing that's also kind of cool you know it gets back into the the concept of the fighting being more like choreography and being very much like an art form it's it's really cool to see it here brilliant and it explains why they didn't need to have rehearsed it at all because they have rehearsed it they've done this a million times totally this is also the moment where I completely forget about Aang and Anji or whatever. Yeah. This is cute as hell. Yeah. It, it's romantic. Yep. It's so romantic. Mm-hmm. And they're both into it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, they are. Okay. Would you would you call them Aang-Tara or Katarang? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. Have we never spliced their names? Is there a nope. official spliced? I thought splice? it was... Nope. Katang online, but I don't know Whoa. for sure. Katang. Yeah. I have more of Zutara does have a ring. I'll give you that. See? Yeah. See? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not I'm not uh I don't discriminate in the ships. I'm all ship inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great reaction, Max. <laughs> this has been Max's reactions making its season three debut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I love that when the party gets busted, even the soldiers are so repressed that they're they're mm-hmm. jiving to it as well. They're yeah. dancing. That was really cool. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. I always uh idealized the fight between Aang and the and the bully. I always thought that was such like if I if I could learn how to fight. <laughs> It would be that style where you're just kind of sw- like swaying around, dodging, making them kind of hurt themselves. Um, I that that choreography, which is very reminiscent of Zuko and Aang's fight in the Bato of the Water Tribe, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see him do that too too much. Just one on one, where he's just completely outmaneuvering another person. Um, and not worried. He has like no emotional reaction. He has yeah. this little smirk on the whole time. <laughs> and then that little wimp starts crying I afterwards. Know! So you get sympathy. <laughs> we do get to see um uh Uncle Iroh in this episode as oh well. Oh my god, yeah. Um Zuko finally gets through kind of the prison to 
to go visit Uncle Iroh. And even though he doesn't say anything, Uncle Iroh, um, he tells us a lot, like mm-hmm. even through just his his actions and, and physical presence. I think the shot of him just crying as Zuko leaves him again mm. um, near the end of the episode is honestly just heartbreaking. And I think it's so sad. we see Iroh kind of putting up this front. Um, anytime uh, a Fire Nation soldier comes in, uh, to kind of give him this false sense of, oh, we've got this guy a little bit. Um, and that's just such an opposite of where we're used to seeing Iroh. And it's pretty jarring, at least it was to me um, um, in this in this episode here. This felt incredibly Zuko to me, that he has an entire palace full of food available to him. And he knows his uncle is probably hungry. And he slides in a little food to him and he goes... I know you don't like Komodo chicken, but here you go. That's what I brought you. Yeah, what the heck? It's like Uncle probably has a million foods that he does love, one of which has to be in that. I imagine Zuko just like thought last minute, like, I should bring him something and just scrounge together something out of the fridge. And let's be honest, nobody likes Komodo chicken. Come on. <laughs> nobody likes Komodo chicken. <laughs> And season three, not skipping a beat with the cliffhangers, right? Oh, like, yeah. Who is this mysterious person with the interesting insignia on their forehead Ooh. right at the end? Another person who also doesn't doesn't speak at all, right? It's just mm-hmm. Zuko kind of talking to this giant bad guy, <laughs> um, giving him that job, which we talked about a little bit uh, when we were talking about episode one. Like, Zuko has decided in this moment that he's going to try to take care of the Avatar while living this kind of double life in the palace, back at home, with his honor restored, um, knowing that the Avatar is out there still and, and needs to be taken care of. So, you know, it's an interesting choice that he makes here. Um, and it is just another really mysterious kind of bad guy presence that we just don't know anything about. It's just teased here at the end. Mm-hmm. But we know that this guy is now chasing our, our team, or at least on the lookout for him. The the visual of that person, they they say like purposely they tried to do an anti ang, like like, <laughs> oh, an, like or that. an anti ang, right? Just the complete opposite, right? You still have that tattoo on the forehead and all that, but you have this huge imposing hulking figure versus <laughs> ang's, you know, kind of scrawny, small. Yeah, um, they really did a good job with this season. I can't, yeah, I can't. It's perfect. I have a little quiz for you. What? Ooh. Oh boy. So, uh. I can't remember if it was Mike or Brian, but one of them was into photography and went to this country to get inspiration for the uh, the look of the Fire Nation, the kind of geographical look. What country Ooh. was it? I always India. assumed it was Japan, but Japan, I don't know. India. So not the not the cultural look, not like the architecture, but the geographical look. Mm. Um, I think like volcanoes and rock structures hawaii close ah! the country of hawaii yeah no <laughs> oh god no come on no <laughs> son of a biscuit um new zealand Ooh, Ooh closer that's very close it has land in it for some reason i want to say scotland uh it's iceland iceland i think the kind of dramatic Fire Nation equals Iceland. Totally makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually ironic. Um, (laughs) But there's all this volcanic structures, these kind of cool 
crevices with lakes and dramatic. At least you didn't say Hawaii. What idiot would say Hawaii? <laughs> God. <laughs> well, I mean, there's some some scenes in like Sokka's Master where that could be straight out of oh, somewhere yeah. in Hawaii. So the country, the country of Hawaii. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 59 states of America in the country of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, that's my quiz. Otherwise, the only other one was an animal. <laughs> Uh, combo what was the the little sea creature that we see a couple of times beneath the boats swimming you remember maybe it's a very quick shot it's not like a i thought it was like a seal or like a sea lion yeah is it like part seal okay part iguana a seal iguana yeah yeah yeah. i remember that oh yeah because it kind of looks like kelp a little bit yeah the way that it Mm -hmm. like if you didn't know it was an animal yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Nice. That's a pretty great spot to end an episode on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any like rapid fire points you wanted to bring up that you didn't get to? I just thought that though, I mean, we talked about kind of how gross the Fire Nation is and their treatment of their citizens. I mean, sort of, right? It's just very repressed, very structured. Mm-hmm. But then that the threat of misbehaving in school was going to the coal mines, like, what? Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Mess actually, oh. Ma- Max, Max, it's actually reform school. Okay. It's oh, not- <laughs> I see. I see. Oh my gosh. Well, when you have a hyper-industrialist military society that's trying to produce a lot of ships to take over the world, I guess you need a lot of coal to I get guess. around. Yeah. The only things that I could add is that you know, um, each, with each season of the podcast, we kind of revamp the artwork and the and the theme music. Um, intro, outro, this episode gives us two of our three pieces, right? The new mm-hmm. thumbnail um, is uh, Sexy Ang from the, <laughs> ca- the the dancing cave scene where he's talking with Katara. Um, and he says, it's just you and me. And he does that kind of smirk. That's our new thumbnail. And then the outro music is actually an arrangement of the cave driving theme. So um, this this episode gives us a lot of those those things, and of course, with it being Max's favorite episode, you know, you gotta <laughs> gotta indulge to a little bit more than normal. I'm sad. I'm kind of sad that this episode is wrapping up, and that we've talked about it. We waited so long to get here. I I just I hold this episode so close in my heart for some reason, and I can watch it over and over again. It's it's just so enjoyable. It's really good. Uh, oh, this yeah. is a meat place. I'll just go get some lettuce out of the garbage. <laughs> Every even line. the meat eats meat. <laughs> and there's that horrifying cow thing. Yeah, seriously, the seriously. Cow? I, I do think that for our second bonus episode, we have to have Max do a dramatic <laughs> reading. Evan, you and I will read the stage directions, and Max, you'll read all of the character voices. We uh, have to do this. I we can't it. not do this right now because you've basically done half of the, sh- the episode already. So um, it needs to be done. So I'm saying right here, right now, we're having two bonus episodes for season three right before we start Legend of Korra. So nice. I love it. You heard it here first, folks. And that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for helping us kick off our third season. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far, as we certainly have. We'll be back next week as we continue our conversations about the third season of Avatar The Last Airbender. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. A big thanks to my co-hosts Evan and Max for being a part of the podcast. 
We'll see you soon. Flamio, Hotman. <laughs>